3, 2, 1, welcome to the Good Hope podcast. This is the first episode and it's a podcast uh, of two guys 5,000 miles apart. <laughs> and it's 5,000 miles that is not only geographical miles because one is European, one, one is of Indian background, one is Portuguese, one is South African, uh, one is athletic, one is intellectual. Uh, what, intellectual is a, is a kind way of saying fat. Uh, <laughs> 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 what else? One is Muslim, one is, one is Christian. Uh, well, it's 5,000 miles that is not only uh, geographical miles. I think it's interesting the name that we picked because Good Hope Podcast because it's the Cape of Good Hope. Uh, it's a location that uh, it's an historical site for both Portuguese and South Africans. So very important for the Portuguese people and very relevant in South Africa also. So welcome to the Good Hope podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Not inviting, you are, the, you are, you are co-host. Co-host. <laughs> Co-host. <laughs> but uh, I look forward to building on this podcast and our future conversations and topics and also to learn, as you said, from uh, our different backgrounds, being 5,000 miles apart, not just geographically, but uh, totally different backgrounds. And uh, it's very interesting that we have such opposite, uh, you know, let's say not features or whatever it is, but uh, being born in third world country, South Africa, uh, and here at the bottom of South Africa, uh, of Africa. And um, you in Portugal, which is part of the European EU. And uh, I'd like to uh, learn much more from you. Also your corporate background coming from McKinsey and uh, working in the corporate world, which I come from a family background of three generations of, uh, of business from a family background, it's very different to someone that came from a corporate background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, maybe it's interesting that you introduce yourself and, and I'll do the same. I'll do the same because, you know, it's, this is for a totally new audience. I imagine we'll start picking up a South African audience and English speaking audience. So maybe we introduce ourselves. You want to go first? No, I do it. I give you the honors. <laughs> I'll start. Okay, yeah. so I'm Portuguese. I was born in Mozambique. So um, I'm almost calling to my origins. So because South Africa is neighboring uh, country. Um, and my first uh, trip, uh, international trip, was 5,000 miles flight from Mozambique to, to Portugal. That's why our company, we are, we are partners in the 5,000 miles company yeah. that in another e episode, we can explain what it is and talk about it. Um, my, I'm an economist. I'm also an MBA. Um, I used to be a consultant, associate consultant at McKinsey and company. Uh, I was CEO of Sibs International, that is a big um, payment sector, payment system company in Portugal, and founded 5,000 Miles, and through this, through social media, 
uh, I came to, to, to meet uh, Mohamed Bana and we are now partners. He's shareholder of group 5,000 miles and also shareholder at 5,000 miles South Africa. Well, shortly, I, I have two kids, <laughs> married two kids. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I'm Mohamed Bana. Um, how far back do I go? <laughs> no, this totally this podcast, the Good Hope podcast, is totally free format, no preparation. So yeah. you know, there's no script. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I like to also, uh, uh, I, I like sometimes to go back to my grandfather. Mm. Uh, you know, two generations because it's very interesting. Uh, as you went back to Mozambique, that's yeah, yeah. where like uh, uh, a shift happened in the in the generation uh, in the family. So. My grandfather was 13 years old, as far as I know, the brief history. Uh, and he left India to come seek a better livelihood uh, mm -hmm. in South Africa. And I always am fascinated by just that fact. I mean, at 13 years old, yeah. you're still a very young child, I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay, And to leave your country in those days when transportation was by ship, there was no flights, you know. Uh, what year? You you know what year? Well, I'll have to look it up, but maybe on the next podcast or something. No problem. We'd have to. Yeah. Uh, so at 13 years old, he came by ship from India to South Africa looking for a, a brighter future. But I mean, it must have been daunting. Uh, you know, there was no social media, no internet then. You couldn't read up about different places. So there was much unknown, unknown factors and challenges. And uh, he then worked for someone that had a clothing wholesale and uh, probably observed a lot and learned a lot. Probably had to learn English, uh, learn how to dress in a European fashion or, or, you know, because I have photos of my grandfather and they used to wear three-piece suits with mm. tie, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm very sure sharp. They used, yeah, very sharp, but... I could understand and I always find that fascinating. Like in India, no one dresses like that. So when they came here, mm. there must have been a lot of Europeans and, and British, uh, you know, at that time in South Africa. And they aspired uh, and had ambition and, and the dressing also changed. Anyway, he built his business up in a wholesale business. He had five sons, three daughters. Uh, he then became a clothing wholesaler and moved some of his sons to Durban where I am currently based, because of the port being in Durban. So he could see an opportunity at that time when his business did scale to say, hey, let me send some of my sons to Durban because that's where the imports are happening from and Durban has a port. And the sons grew the business up, uh, obviously fast forwarding uh, years here. And I then came in 2003 into the family business and uh, it was a whole different ball game when i entered the business uh, they were already into manufacturing so uh, just before i joined the business the company which was run by the five brothers uh, and they had spinning textile mills in south africa also so they used to import yarn and manufacture their own fabric and then manufacture the clothing. So they had a lot of vertical operation, you know. So it, it was a huge leap from when my grandfather came at 13 years old with nothing mm -hmm. to here's, here's the sons having this 
business which owns a spinning textile mill to make the fabric and they make clothes. And then they had 6,000 customers throughout the country, which they had people going with samples to every small town selling. But then the business moved into chain stores. So like how you got H&M and Zara and that we have in South Africa, uh, Edgar's, Jet, Pep Stores, uh, Ackermann's, these were the growing uh, chain stores and business moved that way. At the same time, production moved to China and uh, actually it was Hong Kong before China. It's very interesting. So my dad and them used to travel to Taiwan to buy fabrics first. Then they started in Hong Kong. And when I came into the business, things were just opening into China. Mm. And um, my first trip overseas with one of the managers to go to Hong Kong and China was quite interesting where I just observed. And I remember going to this town called Shaoxing, okay, uh, which is where a lot of the woven fabrics get manufactured. Mm -hmm. So the shirt you're wearing is woven. Uh, the shirt I'm wearing is knit, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, jersey knit. Yeah. So wovens come from Shaoxing predominantly. Mm -hmm. So if you look at China, well, that's another interesting thing. If you need to buy glasses, uh, optical glasses, there'll be one town in China, one city, mega city actually nowadays, where a lot of the optical manufacturing happens. And if you want denim jeans, you would go to Gonzhou. Mm -hmm. If you want socks, you would go to another city. So mm -hmm. that's an interesting fact on production in China. Uh, and going to Shaoxing, when we went to this place, there was not one Western hotel. It was, it was really backwards, like mm. backwards, like you could not believe, uh, hard to describe. So you'd enter this hotel and you'd get the smell, uh, which probably we were not used to. And there'd be a glass cabinet and they'd have shark fins, dried shark fins in these cabinets as, a, as, as ornaments. Okay. Inside the room. And no, no, in, not in the room, but in the lobby. Okay. In the okay. Uh -huh. You know, like as, as decor. Yeah. You know? I understand. And it was their culture and it was so unique, uh, you know, different for us coming from South Africa. But we were not used to this. Okay. And you'd go for breakfast and, you know, there'd be a buffet breakfast. But it was not a Western hotel. It was a Chinese hotel. But this was 2002 or 2001 when I just started traveling. And then by 2003, I registered my own company, okay, uh, not to interfere with the family business, uh, just to be independent of and course. run your own profit and loss. Uh, but the, the why I mentioned this about the hotels, as the time went from 2003 to 2013, I saw with my very own eyes the city in China getting built up. Mm. And um, then a Western hotel did open up where they actually knew what a cappuccino was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> or a scrambled egg or an omelette, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And as time went, I saw a Pizza Hut opening. I saw a KFC opening. And then we, we frequent the Pizza Hut. There was days like where... Every night we went to the Pizza Hut to have a margarita pizza because that was the safest thing for us to eat. And then another hotel came up called New Century. And then they had like, you know, proper facilities and foods. And the hotels then got so smart and so modern, it actually overtook South Africa, mm. you know, where you'd get lovely sweets. And, and, and today you'd get a Dairy Queen, uh, Starbucks. Mm. Uh, it, it's unreal, you know. So they had a Starbucks before Durban had a Starbucks. Of course. And, and that's so interesting to see the scale of just a city in 10 years. Mm. You know? Changing completely. Not, yeah, not many people would get to see that. I'm sure someone... 
uh, in Portugal does not see yeah, Lisbon yeah. evolve change. in 10 years. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. change. So that was one interesting fact. And then I was in the clothing industry, supplying the chain stores, manufacturing in China. But I used to travel a lot to Europe. So traveling was in my blood from a very young age. I was very fascinated with traveling. In fact, as a youngster, whenever uncle or my father traveled, I used to get them to buy from the in-flight magazine these small uh, metal decast uh, mm. aeroplanes. Mm. You know, you could find these. I know. So I yeah. had over 100 of them. So I used to collect them in my room. I had shelves full of them and uh, different airlines, Air Jordania, KLM, British Airways. Uh, my, my, my main favorite one was the Concorde. Mm. You know, so I had the Concorde from Air France and the Concorde from British Airways. And I was fascinated with aviation and flying and that. So uh, we used to travel twice a year or three times a year to Europe to buy trends, fashion trends. I used to travel a lot London was like a compulsory stop, Amsterdam. Then we used to alternate between Barcelona, Cologne, just looking for unique fashions. Yeah. Buy those samples, come back to South Africa, and then the chain stores used to say, ah, oh, these are the trends. And then we used to go off to China and manufacture. So that happened till 2013. And then I was looking for something more. Everyone reaches a point where they want something more, okay? Because... Uh, my mind just told me, you know what, I should chase something that has more equity, like a brand, you mm. know. Uh, I wasn't happy enough manufacturing cheap items that are just mass produced where we're just ch chasing price. Mm. Uh, you reach a point where maybe you're, you're making money, you're making fiat yes. currency, you're making yes. rands, you're making dollars, but you're not really happy making a $2 shirt day in, day out. So I saw... Uh, I think my creative mind just played and I saw this pasta, right, on a shelf in Dubai in a supermarket and it was shapes, okay? So you'd get a, McDo a, a, a Mickey Mouse shape and a Donald Duck shape and all these Disney characters. So I wrote up an email to this factory in the Italy and they were just out of Venice and I made an appointment with them and I took my wife and I traveled to Venice. And we went and had a meeting with them and we said, listen, uh, I'd like to bring this product into South Africa because I see opportunity of a gap in the market where this product's not available here in South Africa. And uh, it was a very exciting journey, some a journey that's part of my history, which uh, I'm very proud of today. Uh, you know, stepping out of the family business and making a move for something new. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Yes, there's always that fear of failure. And uh, the business didn't continue more than a year. But the interesting thing was I got thrown in the deep end when they said, listen, you need a Disney license. You have to get approved from Disney. So I went through this whole journey of going to Cape Town, meeting with Disney South Africa, getting to know the people, uh, you know, convincing them to give me the license. This was the first product that was organic that hmm. Disney ever had in South Africa. So that was some of my selling points that, oh, look, this pasta, uh, it's made in Italy. So it's made in Europe. It's, it's, it's not made in China or the Far East, like a lot of products that are on the shelf in supermarkets. It came in flavors. It's organic. And I was pushing towards the organic thing. And I managed to get the license in under a month. And uh, to me, it was like a proud moment because it was a game changer 
I was not in the FMCG market. I was in the clothing sector. I had no experience in FMCG, but here's a global company like Disney awarding me the license to import this product. Mm -hmm. um, I brought it in, in, I think it was 2014. Uh, I spent a year on the product. I sold to Spa. I don't know if you know the supermarket I Spa know. groups. Ed, yes. Uh, yeah, so you get it in Europe. So not in Europe, but it's in Nigeria, for example. I don't okay. know if in Europe we also have it. I don't know. But I know in from Eastern Nigeria. Europe, I think there's I know a few from Nigeria. spa stores. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So spa started buying, but it was very different selling to supermarkets than selling to clothing sector, right? Mm. Where as clothing, you just deliver to their warehouse and that's it and you get paid. When it comes to food, it gets delivered to the store individually and then you got to get shelf allocation. So they might put yours in aisle number 10 at the bottom of the shelf. And you go into the store and you're like, no one can find my product because it's lying at the bottom of the shelf. You would like stuff at eye level. And the supermarkets are not willing to take something off the shelf to give you space. Yeah. You know, So they're like, you need to give them a valid reason for this. But I learned a lot about marketing. I paid for... Do you know at the end of an aisle in a supermarket, you call it the gondola end. Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. As much as sometimes a supermarket might be big, there might be only 10 aisles. Uh, and to buy that, you have to actually pay them to get space on that front because it actually gives people visual of uh, yeah, yeah. content. And it was so interesting to go through that whole negotiation process with spa stores to get the aisle in. And then I had to get marketing material to clad it. Um, so that, that for me was a very interesting journey. But then I realized, look, this FMCG is very cutthroat market and margin orientated and the deliveries. So I came out of that and I was still looking for something scalable, okay, and something global. So that gave me margin because the Disney brand, you could, you had margin, you know, from your cost of sales to your sales. And I was always out there on social media, looking at e-commerce growing, looking at, uh, you know, what is happening in Africa. So I've got screenshots of uh, on my laptop on one night when I was searching what's happening in Africa, what's the facts of Nigeria, where are the billionaires in Africa? And, and I narrowed down to Nigeria. And I knew that there's a huge opportunity in Nigeria for business. And I started then focusing all my time and effort and energy uh, into reading up on Nigeria and following businesses in Nigeria and what's happening. Um, that's actually when I came across you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So instead of, uh, you know, watching Cristiano Ronaldo on Instagram and seeing what he's doing or following whatever hobbies people have, uh, I made business research my hobby. Mm -hmm. So there's a joke. My brother-in-law and them used to laugh. They said, you know, Mohamed, you watch so much YouTube every night that YouTube got nothing left to recommend to you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> Does it happen to you? Like open uh, YouTube and you say, wow, this is, there's nothing yeah. interesting to see anymore. Does it happen or not? Uh, you, you know, your mind changes. I don't think you, uh, YouTube's unlimited. So anything new you can type in. But where I was getting at is that instead of watching, I, I played soccer for my school. So I was good at soccer. Mm -hmm. I was the house captain, you know, in, in, that means you lead a house yeah, yeah. captain, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I was very sporty. Uh, I still am sporty. You but are, my sports, yeah. my sports have gone from 
team sports to individual sports. Yes. Okay. So I do a lot of triathlons currently, not major ones, but I enjoy that. Uh, but I found, okay, coming back to social media, that I knew this power in uh, Instagram. I could see Instagram growing. I could see YouTube growing. And it gave me access to the world. But I didn't care about following celebrities and I didn't care about following soccer stars and, and any sporting events and whatnot. But I started checking what's happening in Nigeria. And when I came across your Instagram channel, I found it very inspiring. And one of the first posts, which I screenshot, okay, and I saved on my Instagram. On Instagram, you can save screenshots, you know, or yes. you click there. And the first post was actually a post which you said, and, and it was not a photo of you. It had a picture of some city, and it said, can you afford to ignore the African market? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, I probably followed you for some time and had no connection with you. And one day I saw you flew to Cape Town, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, hey, what the hell do I have to lose? And I sent you a DM. Mm -hmm. And I think four or five days later, you replied. I think and I didn't reply, did I? I don't know. Not, I'm not straight away. Not yeah. straight away. Because, because you, straight your away. accounts uh, used one that is Durban Sunrise. Sunrise. So I had yes. no pictures of, of a face, no name. And I, yes. I, and I, I was, you know... Uh, security concern I said who is this person yeah so, so, so that, that is another thing that's an interesting fact so I had an Instagram page but I wasn't comfortable about posting my lifestyle uh -huh. on Instagram to yeah, people yeah. because I didn't want to show people oh I'm flying on first class or business class on Emirates and I'm eating in this restaurant in London and that I, I was on Instagram following people uh, but I, I wasn't comfortable just showing off my lifestyle, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I live, a, I live a comfortable life in South Africa. But so I had the sunrise photos uh, because I, I love watching the sunrise in the morning with a cup of coffee at the ocean in Durban. I just find it one of the most powerful moments yeah, of the day, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah, you didn't reply straight away, but you did reply. Uh -huh. I put a small intro. And, and looking back, you know, these are the moments which I try and tell my nephews and nieces, and I, I like to motivate the smaller kids in the family, that sometimes you've got to realize that those small steps or, or something that just took you out of your comfort zone, okay, sending a person, a stranger, a DM, is life-changing yes. for your journey. I mean, if I look back to where we're standing today, we're having a podcast between two of us. I'm partner and shareholder in 5,000 miles, right? In yes, South Africa. Yes. And in the group. And, and in the group. Yeah, <laughs> and in the group. But my wife was probably asleep next to me in bed at night while I was on Instagram and sending you this DM. I'm, try, I'm trying to say offices were closed. Uh, it was in the middle of the night. I probably, I actually got a small screenshot of it. I'll send it to you. Uh, and, and that changed, let's say, my life currently. And your life as yes, well, yes, having yes. office here in South yes, Africa. Yes. So I think to the youth listening to this or any youngster that, you know, you rather try and fail than fail to try. Okay. So like my pasta story with the Italian pasta, it didn't work out. After a year, uh, you know, it had a shelf life, uh, you know, the delivery, transport cost, all that. I decided one morning that, you know what, this is not working out. I came to work and I just donated 
all the stock I had, okay? So the next day when I came to work, I was no longer in pasta because I had no stock. Mm -hmm. So I could take a clean piece of paper and, and say, okay, now what? What do I do? Mm. I have some capital, I have my time, and yes. let me start fresh, okay? And sometimes in life, you have to cut your losses, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and people are too sentimental sometimes with things in life, be it even a marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, some people are in a marriage that is not a happy marriage, but they Drag don't it. know when to draw the line, drag it. Some people are in a business. You know, there's that English saying, you cannot whoop a dead horse. Yes. It's yes. not going to move. Okay. So maybe that's like another lesson which I learned in life to cut your losses and move on. Mm. And, you know, I was listening to another podcast or a YouTube video. There's, uh, I can't pronounce the guy's name, Chapit, Chapit, I think, or Chamit. Uh, Indian guy, he's like uh, from one of these tech companies in America. Uh, I think he's one of the guys that came from the Facebook uh, company. Okay. And and he was saying that in Indian communities around the world, or it's like it it wasn't acceptable to fail, or failure was looked frowned upon. Mm. You know, whereas in Silicon Valley, uh, to fail, to try and fail, you get like a like a stripe on your arm or a star on your arm. Like wow, you've tried this, you've tried that, and. Uh, you know, a lot of famous people will tell you that the faster you fail, the faster you get to where you need to be, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, or the fast, you, you know, you cannot just uh, be stuck on one dream uh, and not try anything else if, yeah. if you need to. Do you, I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. I'm getting uh, it, but I always feel when people say these kind of things that it's true, it's a Silicon Valley uh, vibe, But uh, these Silicon Valley guys, uh, maybe like you, uh, you know, you, you are a millionaire. So uh, it, it, it's a game. It's a game. No, it, it, it's a game. Yeah, if the Facebook guys lose 2 million euros, you know, move on. You understand? But now think about your grandfather, 13 years old in the ship. All this talk for him would be absolutely bullshit. Because if he doesn't succeed, he dies. You know, find, fail fast, recover, relaunch again and say, fail fast what? I fail, I, know I have nothing to eat tomorrow. Mm. Yeah, you understand? Know and no, I, and think I think it's true, but it, it, it's also a first world kind of concern and uh, Instagram vibe and Silicon Valley vibe. True, true, true. Because, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, you have to... You, And, and, and a lot, uh, yeah, and a lot of empires are built by those that cannot fail. You know, you, you see those. The, the typical example is the strategy of, for example, uh, special forces commandos that uh, seals that when they disembark on a beach, they burn the boats so that the, the soldiers know that they that you know there, there's no fail fast, there's no try again. If we fail, we die. Because there's no, no one is going to take the boat back to the mothership because the boat yes. is burnt. Um, so I understand what, what you say. I know it's 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 uh, it's, it's the current culture, um, but sometimes I'm more inspired by our grandfather than by the, the current generation. Uh, by one of by by one of uh, the PayPal guy that has you know 50 million on the bank and is now taking a risk another 5 million on a venture. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, I, 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 no, I think you understand what scale, I'm saying. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. Depends on what think, stage you are in life. Depends on what think, stage you are in life. I, I don't think I was referring to, look, the guys in Silicon Valley, they have money to burn. I understand they throw a lot of money. I'm talking about, you know, if you, I was putting my heart into something for one year and I said, this is not working out. Uh, I would cut my losses and move on to something. Yes, it's very I important. Could see, no, no. I could see that this product had a shelf life and the, pr the price point of a Disney product made in Europe, in Italy, was too high compared to something made in China. And living in South Africa, we have 50, 60 million people. The masses cannot afford this product. Yes, okay? I understand. So that was a lesson for me to say, hey, you might be able to eat this product. You might be able to afford this. People in your family might too. But the majority many, in the country, uh, yeah. how many cannot afford this? So you're actually not going to make a lot of sales. You might sell, but to 10 people, I'm just using a number, 10 people. But you're not going to sell this to 50 million people. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot from this uh, journey of that pasta. And um, yeah, and then I found you. I uh, jumped on a plane, came to Portugal to host the web summit. I mean, I mean, not host the web summit, to, to attend the web summit. Um, that was the invite that you had. And yeah, you know, you know where it went from there. But when I was going every day to the web summit, my mind actually was not uh, was always curious to see what products were launched at Web Summit, you know, new apps. There was a hall called Beta. There was a hall called Alpha. I met a lot of people. I, I got a lot of business cards from there. And uh, once again, uh, you know, you sent me a WhatsApp and said, hey, I'm sitting in the bar or the reception and you want to have a drink and uh, let's get chatting. I was already in bed at that moment, let me tell you, and the lights were already switched off. Mm -hmm. But... That's again, something that I will never forget that moment, saying to myself, hey, do I say no, I'm asleep, or do I say yes, okay? <laughs> and, and once again, that, that choice was like, you know, like how you say a fork. Or, yes, uh, right? yes, it's a fork. That, that I, I, had, I had an option to say yes or no. That's, that again was where, you know, you say yes to something, and it can change your life. You yes. Know? There is an Eminem music, I think it's an Eminem song that says, look, if you had one moment, one opportunity to capture everything you ever wanted, do you mm. capture it or do you let it slip? I always think about mm. this. Because sometimes these is moments that makes the difference. Mm. No, it's this, you know, it's these forks. Mm. One way or the other changes everything. Yeah. So, so, and I, I think also uh, something which I want to share with you, because maybe we haven't shared this uh, before. Because, and, and, you know, we, it, it needs to be said now as the base of our podcast that I followed you, as I said, for months probably before I sent you that first DM, right? Mm -hmm. Then I actually, you had, a, you had a thing called a training course. Uh, the Evolution Program. Train, evolution program right for people i actually sent an email to monano okay. uh, saying i'd like to do this program mm -hmm. right and i've got that email and i never did the program and the when i made payment for web summit the invoice came from your nigerian office okay? yes yes and uh web summit 
I could have bought anybody in the world could buy a ticket to Web Summit for an X amount. Uh-huh. And, uh, your offer was fly to Portugal. We'd pick you up. We'd host you in the Ritz-Carlton for one week. Get to spend time with 10 other business guys uh, or like-minded people, international people. And it was like four or five times the price. But uh, at that time, I said to myself, we waste money on other luxuries. We've lost money in business along our history, making wrong decisions or bad decisions. Things don't work out. And... Here's the opportunity to invest in myself. Here's the opportunity to invest in something I, I really uh, am interested in and to sit and have a conversation with you because I was following your content. I was following your content on YouTube. I was following your content on Instagram. But we never, I, I, you were unreachable to me being in South Africa to yeah. communicate. But, yeah. And you, you had thousands of followers at that time okay so i made this payment through the bank to nigeria and i remember the day my secretary <laughs> coming in here and she's saying the bank is calling and they're not releasing this payment because it's getting made to nigeria <laughs> and i was like yeah yeah i know about it i, I was cool but the bank was fretting like why yeah. are you paying so much money to uh, i mean to for this fee to nigeria yeah. i said no i know about it and it went through so these are like moments in my life which i clearly remember distinctly you know <laughs> paying that that money to nigeria uh and i i would say as much as web summit was there when i reached lisbon i knew exactly what i wanted so walking into that first dinner i wanted i knew i had one week but I wanted to connect with you. Hmm. I was not interested in the other 10 guys that flew there from Nigeria no, no, no. or anywhere else. I knew that this is part of why I'm here is to connect with Pedro. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at the photo, it's yes. you at the head of the table and you with are your sitting, wife. Yes. And my wife was directly next to your wife and I was yeah, next yeah, to her. Yeah, so yeah. we were like three, four people We connected apart. immediately, yes. Exactly. But... That's another thing I think people can take away from this podcast is like, you must know what you want in life and where you want to be and you need to position yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for every time that Cristiano Ronaldo scores a goal, there's someone that crosses the ball to him and he has to be standing in the right position to score that goal. Okay. He's not always running right back to the defense line. So these are things that just naturally come to you to position yourself. Uh, and, and, and an, but another thing is that uh, you can have luck, but you can also buy luck. And people don't don't uh, understand this. Many people understand. You can actually buy luck. And the only and most people get stuck because they try to get luck for free. 100%. You 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 understand? You know, uh, you 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 invested to come to Portugal and and meet us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your grandfather invested his time. He, he took he, he, he took maybe the ship ticket. took the ship ticket. Maybe he, he never saw his parents again. Maybe yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But it was a truly a goodbye for a three year old kid alone. This is buying luck, you know, he's buying uh, the possibility of having luck. He's a lottery ticket, he's a lottery ticket. Yeah. And you don't win the lottery if you b- don't buy the ticket. 
<laughs> I think it's so important that people understand this. It's so important. You have to you have to buy lottery tickets, but try to find the ones that that have some probability of winning. <laughs> it's never guaranteed. It's never guaranteed. But some lottery tickets have fifty percent. Some have seventy five percent. Buy those. Buy those. No, but, but but what you're saying is adding to is pay the price. Pay the price pay to the have price. So, to to so, be able to to have luck. So buying the, the the package to come to Web Summit and spend the time with you, yes, I paid euros and it, it was our amount, but sending the DM in the first place to connect with you when you were in South Africa, that that was free, but it, everyone else had the choice. Say you had 40,000 followers at that time. Mm-hmm. Anyone else could also send you a DM. I don't know how many DMs you were getting. You probably mm-hmm. get a lot, but uh, uh, my point yeah. is you need to focus on what you want and 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 you tied in with my research about Nigeria. That that was what made me come connect to you. Okay? Yeah. Or or why I wanted to connect to you. Because I'll be honest, my intention was I'm in the clothing sector. This market here in South Africa is so saturated and it's become so efficient that there's no more profit to be made. Because when 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 the market becomes so efficient and you know so streamlined, okay. Uh, like an interesting fact, I was watching uh, Toyota the other day talk about 2020 pandemic and the COVID. They had such a in-time system, such an efficient system that the, the parts would get delivered from secondary suppliers just in time for production. That when COVID came and people went into lockdown, they couldn't complete manufacturing cars in America because or, or they didn't have surplus stock. Okay, so... I thought that Nigeria has 220 million people. Mm-hmm. That's a huge market for our clothing industry. Yes. Okay, yes. and uh, I still see it as opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, we went to we sitting now 2021 October. I mean, I mean January 2021. The whole of 2020 disappeared with COVID. If you call, I'm saying disappeared, right? So Nigeria is still there. It's still got 20 200 million people. And it's still a market that has opportunity. Yeah, right? yeah, one hundred percent. And um, yeah, so that's that's where we met at Web Summit. And but uh, regarding the that. buying luck, I, I think another thing that is interesting to to mention is that a lot of people buy luck. For example, uh, when you go to university, almost everyone would say, "Okay, it's not guaranteed that I'm going to have a good job, but I'm investing to have this simply because they see others investing. But this same person finishes university never again, or it's going to become very risk averse for the rest of his life. So it's like people need to see others investing to invest. If everyone is buying a university degree or going through a university degree and investing three, four years of their life plus a lot of money, uh, then everyone wants it just because everyone does it. Mm-hmm. But uh, from the rest of for the rest of their lives, they will be you know trying to hide from risk, trying to avoid risk, not understanding that you know to get married is a risk. To go to university is a risk, you know. To um, there is a lot of risks that people incur just because it's normal to incur. Yeah, you yeah. understand. Yeah. <laughs> I I understand, and I find you know uh, 
the fact is I don't have a university degree. Okay, mm -hmm. I, I went to university for a year. And at that time, uh, my dad's company was supplying a store called Dunn Stores. And uh, it was their largest customer. And the goods on the floor they had were supposed to get delivered to them. The goods on the water on the ship were supposed to come in to get delivered to them. And they went into liquidation. And uh, I uh, came to the office, came to, took some samples, went to Johannesburg, and I tried to sell these goods for them to help them, uh, you know, while I was at university. And I got sucked into doing that. And I never actually, you know, somehow I studied a BCom, started with BCom. I went for a few good lectures and I always laughed that one of the lectures I, I, I still remember so clearly is economics 101. Okay. And they just taught me supply, demand uh -huh. and marginal utility. Yeah, okay? yeah. You know, most, and, most economists, that's the only thing they remember from their degree. Right. So <laughs> you know so, almost all that an economist knows. <laughs> so, so so that that's a very interesting fact, okay? Uh, and and how I'll tell you, it's related to me, right? Related to me. So I went to this very strict Islamic school. Mm. Boys were separate. Yeah. Girls were separate. We used to wear our white kurta, our our hat covered. It was a Muslim school. Excellent. But when I came out into university, I got a bit let's say distracted because yes. now everyone's mixing mm -hmm. there's uh non-muslims muslims girls boys so there was half price movies on tuesdays we never used to go for lectures we used to be going to the movies we mm. used to be going to the beach we used to be enjoying ourselves and you would say that uh, girls were a huge a huge temptation in university <laughs> just because <laughs> No, I wouldn't, just I because being no, something new this is, a, this is a podcast getting recorded and my wife might be listening to this no no but you know <laughs> no, I'm joking so so I think just the freedom. nature is nature I mean, I, yeah yeah but I think so it was the freedom you know the freedom of not having a principal a teacher strict rules okay. that you have to abide that uh, dress code you mm -hmm. can now wear whatever you want mm -hmm. so let's call it it was a big change coming out of a strict Islamic school, okay, private Islamic yes, school. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, and my point is, I missed a lot of lectures, okay? Mm -hmm. But one of the lectures I went for was Economics 101. Mm. And I will never forget that up to now, right? Supply, demand, marginal utility. Yeah. That's the three things. And I think that, that stuck to me throughout my life. And as I said, I, I got sucked into the business. I enjoyed it. And then I told myself, you cannot fail. I think, yes, my dad was a businessman. My grandfather had a businessman. But to me, I was competing against my peers. When I say competing against my peers, mentally, you got friends and they still in university. Mm -hmm. Now you're out of university and you open up your own company. I didn't have a second option because if I failed at this business, I didn't have a degree to fall back on to go out there in the corporate world. How was so, your, the, let's say, the, how did you compare with your colleagues? Were like the richest guy in class or were guys, you know, even... How, would, no, how, how did you felt uh, in the ranking, let's say? In, in school? In, in, yeah, in school. Before you start working. Uh, you were the richest I, I guy. I already I know. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I already I know. Say, no, no, no. I, I, I got to be honest here. Yeah? So it was a private school, which fees were high mm -hmm. and, and that. So there was a, a lot of people that had wealth and there was a few people on bursaries. But in school, 
we never looked at it that way. A boy was a boy. If you played soccer and I played soccer with your friends, I, I promise you, we were like oblivious of money mm -hmm. uh, in school yeah. because we all wore the same thing. It's That's like the confirmation that you were the richest. <laughs> no, 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 no. Otherwise, you would know. Otherwise, you would. Know. <laughs> no, no. They, they were definitely people that were much more wealthier, but they didn't show it either. If you understand what yes, I'm saying, I understand. only when you okay. came out and you realize, oh, his father owns a steel company, mm. and you know what? Uh, or his father's in the oil industry. But in school. I promise you, uh, the, the thing was like, you either played cricket or soccer okay. and, and, and that. Okay, coming back to uh, when I started the business, there was this, you know, you cannot, uh, you cannot afford to fail concept. And I really feel I worked hard because uh, I know how many birthdays and anniversaries I missed while I was traveling. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So even the day I was getting engaged to my wife, I flew in on that morning from India, you know. So okay. the night I was going to get engaged, I was not here even the day before. That morning I flew in. And after we got married as well, I, I was always traveling to China. Uh, you know, we have our fasting month, okay, mm -hmm. where we fast for one month mm -hmm. as, as Muslims. There's been, uh, and it's, it's part of my life and my history, it's there. Uh, I, I had to travel to New York for work, uh, you know, and, and while I was fasting and uh, go and buy samples in New York while I was fasting. It was the hardest fast of my life because let me tell you, in America, foods advertised to you all the mm -hmm. time as you walk. Yes, you know, yes. there's Krispy Kremes, there's Burger King. It was such a hard fast. I remember 10 a.m. and I'm starving and I'm like half the day is not gone and I'm already hungry, you know, <laughs> but there's been times I was fasting and I broke fast in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So I used to travel even if it was fasting month or whatever. And uh, that, that was very enjoyable as well because nobody told me when to fly. Nobody told me what I needed to do. My father gave me the free reign. So I would be in a meeting with a big customer. I remember this very interesting uh, you know, and proud moment of myself. I would call it as an entrepreneur where I'm sitting with a buyer at Edcon and uh, Edgar's Edcon was a listed company on the stock exchange, one of the biggest chain stores in South Africa. And the buyer and the manager says, oh, we're going to be in Hong Kong next week. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I'm also going to be in Hong Kong next week. We must do dinner. And mm -hmm. I walk out the meeting, go to the car park and I phone the travel agent and I say, I need a flight to Hong yes, Kong. Yes, 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 yes. Just to okay. just to meet him. Yeah, yeah. But I had no, <laughs> I was not intending to go to Hong Kong. I had of course, planned, of course. And, and Just do not I, waste the opportunity. Yes, because I was like, imagine having dinner with these guys out of their environment. Yes. Okay. Our friendship would be on another level. Of compared course. Compared to just meeting them in Johannesburg. Yes. So uh, I flew to Dubai. Okay. And this is another interesting uh, small story. I had a credit card in my hand. I went shopping. And I bought a whole lot of denim jeans from all the stores and mm. I kept the receipts. Then I went to Hong Kong, landed there. It was fasting month. I was fasting while I'm doing all this. I met the buyers and I'm thinking these buyers are probably busy working and that. And then when I meet them, they're sitting in a shopping mall and relaxing. And I'm like, we think these people from chain stores do hard work. They're just sitting and having a good old Just time, relaxing. Right? Relaxing. But they must have done their work. But I saw them in a shopping mall. I said, look, I'm going to a mosque. I'm going to break my fast. In Nathan Road, there's a mosque, a main road uh, in Kowloon in Hong Kong. I went, I broke my fast. 
came back, took them for dinner, took them for this nice, smart Indian dinner. And they were under the impression that I'm there in Hong Kong doing big business with other customers, okay? And then I mentioned to them, yes, you must see the amount of denim jeans I'm doing for everyone else. You know, why aren't you all doing denim jeans mm -hmm. with me? And uh, they said, oh, where's the denim jeans? I said, no, it's all in my room. And these are the stuff that I just bought from Dubai, okay? And I had this, all the receipts in my bag and whatnot. So they come to the hotel, I take them up to my room, and I start putting each denim jeans on the bed, okay, uh -huh. in the Mira Hotel. Yeah. And, and I, I put one down and they're like, oh, we love this. And they put it aside and we, oh, we, we love this, we love that. Okay, we don't like this. And I said, oh, you know what I'll do for you? Whatever you like, I'll give you a costing in a week's time. Mm. And anyway, the next the next day, I took all the jeans they like. I went to a supplier in Hong Kong. Say, copy this. Told him, yeah, no, I told him, cost it, cost it for me, okay? Mm -hmm. And all the stuff that they didn't select, I put it back in the bag and I flew back to Dubai. I went back to the stores, returned all the samples, <laughs> put the money back on the credit card and came to South Africa. And within a week, the Hong Kong supplier sent me all the costings and, you know, you got sales. But once again, looking at being in the meeting and when they said, oh, we're going to be in Hong Kong, these are the moments you have to just yeah, you know, yeah, snap. quickly yeah. snap. Mm -hmm. And that whole episode wouldn't have happened if I just said, oh, nice, have a good time in Hong Kong. You mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think even looking back when I was in school, I was entrepreneurial. I used to buy fake Swiss Army knives and sell to everyone in class. Okay? Mm. And then you... You know what's a flea market, right? Where yeah. people put a table. So in school, I actually had a flea market table on the beachfront in Durban. So on a Sunday, you could hire a table. So I used to buy, I can't remember all the items, but clothing and bags. So you know Lee jeans, you get Lee jeans, mm -hmm. like Levi's. Mm -hmm. So there was backpacks that I used to buy. I used to buy Nike backpacks from wholesalers and go to the flea market and sell. Whereas, you know, as... It doesn't matter if your father or grandfather were wealthy and where they came from and how much money you had. I mean, to sell in the flea market, it wasn't that we were short of anything, but I enjoyed yes. uh, the yeah. challenge. I understand. Okay? I understand. And um, I used to walk around in school days in the neighborhood and there was a lot of new houses getting built in the neighborhood. And I used to buy jockeys. You know, jockeys is like men's underwears in mm -hmm. pack of 12, okay. Okay? a dozen. And then I used to go to the construction sites in around the neighborhood and sell the men's underwear to all the builders. <laughs> okay. And that was quite fun at that time. So anything to make 50 Rand or 100 Rand mm -hmm. and, and make your own money for me was exciting. Mm. And I think that entrepreneurial spirit played out in my life, you know. And um, even being now today with 5,000 miles. And being the country manager of South Africa, whenever a brochure comes, I'm so excited about looking at every company, looking at the brochure, because each one's got a different product and business. And, and my mind, you know, plays on all these products. Where's the opportunity? Always looking for the gap, you know. Mm -hmm. So... Fantastic. That's a bit much about me now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you see, you you think uh, I, I'm still I'm still a bit you know thinking about your grandfather with 13 years old, and and it comes to mind. Uh, I I found on TikTok this this um, is a gypsy. It's just a gypsy girl. She's 14, 
and she already is she's in a couple with with another um, with a gypsy boy that is 16 but when they they talk explaining gypsy culture and all of that i look at them with 14 because 14 is just a small girl but she looks so mature so it's a couple already so it looks like uh so uh so I, I, sometimes i think that you know society is making us soft somehow yeah because you know your maybe your grandfather with 13 was almost like an adult yeah, yeah. Uh, this girl that i'm describing this gypsy girl she looks like an, an adult woman at 14 with with the husband or the boyfriend or whatever they live together and um i i think that uh, it takes more and more time uh for people to to do things just because you know we enter in a machine of school of all these steps uh like before you are like 30 23 24 you know you are stuck in a in a in a system at least in europe most people it's like in europe in africa not so much but in europe most people you know until 22 23 you are stuck in the educational uh, system it doesn't mean that is wrong or that is bad because I think that university has a lot of good things, but um, I, something that I've noticed, you know? and the, the study of your grandfather, you know, fits well this this, this example of that it's possible for people to achieve things early in life. I always I try to, to to talk with my kids as adults, you know, talking yes, I with do the them. Same. I do the same. Of, so, about everything politics business straights like like an adult and try to see if they they need any more support to understand it but if not i will just talk as an adult i i think let's talk about the kids at the moment okay uh i had friends that came through schooling with me went through university and only after getting the degree was the first day in their life they did any work. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, in as I said, when I was in school, I was already buying and selling, mm -hmm. doing some form of business. Yes. Uh, every time it was a Saturday or a Sunday, and if my father was at his warehouse or business, we used to go to, to, to spend our free time with him in, in the business. So as much as you're seven or eight or nine or 10 years old and you're playing, but you're seeing containers getting unpacked. You, you think you're having fun. You're pushing the trolley and you're helping the boys, you're helping the staff, but you're actually absorbing, absorbing. So talking to the kids, what you were just saying, and, and I've got three girls as well, uh, you know, 12, 10, and five, and we have proper conversations with them. Just, just proper mm -hmm. conversations, which I think other parents don't, uh, I don't want to say feel comfortable, but uh, don't expose their children. Mm, yeah. So, so um, normally when it's a school holiday, someone would say, oh, the children just sit and watch Netflix at home or sit and play or whatever. Nowadays, it's YouTube, Netflix, whatnot, you know, people not doing so much sports. But I try and explain to my kids that, you know what, we've worked for other people. And, and already my two eldest daughters have worked at Pam Golding real estate agents in the last two holidays, okay? Uh, they didn't want to at first, after going and getting a certificate and getting paid 100 Rand a day for five days, when everyone else started uh, being fascinated about it, they actually felt so proud, mm -hmm. you know? And, and like my wife's 
dad, so their grandfather said, what? You worked for five days at Pam Golding and this is amazing. Now they look forward to going to work, but unfortunately COVID stopped yeah. that uh, for now. But they've got certificates to say at 12 and 9, they've already had internship or what you say, uh, holiday work at Pam Golding. Now, some people will go through to 20. They already saw a company from the inside. From the inside. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they need their mind open up. Uh, I, I actually find my five-year-old the most fascinating. You know, uh, when you have proper conversations with her, she's got no filter. You know, she, she like... There's no, the 12-year-old would have a filter, they'd be shy or, you know, they watch what they say, they know what's disciplined because of school, okay? Mm -hmm. Where the five-year-old is just so free, okay? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so innocent, you know? Uh, and it's very interesting to have conversations with them, not about money and stuff, but just about mm -hmm. like, like anything they see. So where if we went to someone's farm the one day and there's a dog, the other two elder kids, they were like, oh, there's a dog. Meanwhile, the, f the small child will run and hold the dog. They don't have that fear that, oh, this dog can bite me, you know? Uh, so instinct, and coming back to what you're saying, a lot of families feel that it's taboo to talk about money or uh, anything regarding money on the family table or with the family. Mm -hmm. So the parents mm -hmm. would know about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, paying rent or paying salables and whatnot. Uh, where is... You know, the challenge comes as a parent. Do you give the child a cell phone or do you not give them a cell phone? Do you, uh, but the world's moving with tech. So are you, by not giving your child a cell phone, they don't know what's Instagram. They don't know what's TikTok. They don't know what's YouTube. Uh, they don't know whatever, you know, apps and whatnot. Uh, but also it's so scary just to give your child a cell phone and, you know, TikTok's quite unfiltered nowadays. You know, I mean, if uh, having a laptop so uh, risky as well. But you have to trust in your child. And if you do the good parenting skills and show them, look, they will all make mistakes. You know, recently I've been telling people, Eve, Adam, which is Adam in our, uh, was the first man on, on earth, okay? And God created him. And he, he had to be perfect, but yet he made a mistake by eating from the apple. Yeah. Okay. There is so kids, Adam in the Quran or not? Yes. Adam, Adam and Eve. They yeah, are so in Quran? Yes. Ad, we say Adam. Okay. Adam. It's Adam. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, e, and Eve, we say Hawa. H-A-W-A. Hawa. Okay. So because it's characters yeah. that that uh, we recognize from Christianity that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So so we recognize all prophets, we recognize Moses, we recognize mm -hmm. all of them. Yeah. But I I my point being here that the kids will make mistakes, okay? Yeah. So even with money like when they get their money from their their vacation holidays, they have a choice on what they can do with it. I mean, look Unfortunately, they chose to blow it and spend on some items that they wanted online. They buy from China. There's a website called Shein and they get credit to them. <laughs> so, you know, but I also gave them the option and I said, listen, you could buy a product from Amazon and sell to your friends. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll do that the next time they get some cash or mm -hmm. whatnot, right? But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, these are the conversations I find interesting having with my kids. So it's not only about me being entrepreneurial or my my wife's a housewife and she gives us the support okay mm -hmm. but she's very a good listener she mm -hmm. listens to mm -hmm. all 
the stuff that's going around. And she encourages this behavior at home where, you know, they have this option of independent thinking, mm -hmm. not to restrict their thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Mohammed, I think this is the first episode. Uh, it's done. Uh, what do you say? You continue this every week, eh? Once yeah, per week. Sure. Every Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Every okay. Wednesday. Let's uh, try to keep a fixed schedule. Because, huh? Of course. I think uh, this will be interesting because we'll go through different topics and interests. And uh, let's see where it goes from. Fantastic. It's the first episode of the Good Hope podcast. It's done. Thank you. And Thank it's going so to much. be released. Uh, I think the audio part is going to be released Unscripted, today. unfiltered. 100%. Not, not, not even topics. But it's interesting because it's two, two perspectives 5,000 miles apart. That, that's what makes it special. I don't know anyone else doing this kind of far, format. Yeah? yeah. So this is interesting. From Europe to, to South Africa. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. See you next week.